Good evening. All right, we have a whole chapter tonight. Okay. So let's just go before the Lord and pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you, Lord, and God, you know, my nerves all week with a whole chapter has been um, a little shaken and just weary. So we just, I just commit it to you, Lord, and it's your your words, Lord. I just pray that you would calm my um, anxiousness and my thoughts, Lord, and that you, I would just be an empty vessel that you would flow through, Lord, and speak to all of us. I pray, Lord, that you would prepare hearts um, to hear what you want to say to us, Lord, in this chapter tonight. And Father, I just pray um, as women, Lord, we would just slow down and hear your voice, God, and that we would just chase out the things that are uh, pulling us away in our mind and in our heart, Lord, and that we could just hear your voice, Lord. And Father, we do just want to come before you as um, it's been just a difficult week for the church body, Lord, with our dear friend Chris. Being with you now, Lord, no more suffering, no more pain. We just lift up our sister to you, Christy, God, and... um, It's just been a blessing to watch um, the church body love on her in all different ways, Lord, and just the church family um, being little vessels of you, Lord, just seeing you in action is a beautiful thing to watch, Lord, and so encouraging. And just pray for her specifically right now, Lord. You know more than anyone what she needs. And I just pray, Father, if it's a sleep, a good night's sleep tonight, Lord, or just a peace that surpasses understanding, Lord, that she can't even express, Lord, that you would meet her where she's at, Lord. We cry out to you for her, and we just lift her before you. We lay her at your feet, and we pray that you would comfort her as only you can, Lord. We just thank you for um, just the people that have been so servant-hearted through this process, Lord. And we just look to your word tonight. Um, as this chapter is all about, um, um, our actions, Lord, you've taught us a lot of what to do. And now, um, more of our actions are in place, Lord. So we just look to you now in this chapter in your precious name, we pray. Amen. Okay. So we are in chapter four and... Eating a well-balanced diet consisting of various types of nutrition supplying different vitamins that are needed is important for our overall health. Same is true spiritually. We need many different aspects of truth to keep our heart, soul, and mind healthy. Why covering, digesting the entire Bible is the best nutritional plan for spiritual health and growth and to even protect against issues arising within our own lives. Also, while, while covering all of each book in the Bible, as doing with James, is the most well-balanced meal to feed our souls. In this chapter, we find a wide range of top, topics addressed, sort of like a perfectly balanced meal or like a multivitamin. Various beneficial things combined in one serving. Haven't noticed yet, the book of James is a lot like a version of Proverbs, where there's a lot of good um, wisdom and just practical, everyday life teaching. Um, It's the same as James, I feel. The book of Proverbs filled with lots of practical wisdom from God for living right on everyday matters. Proverbs style is like a bunch of different little nuggets of wisdom 
on various topics and subjects. Each verse in Proverbs often addresses its own unique topic, different from the prior verse. Each verse, proverb, can almost be its own mini-sermon. Chapter 4 in James is probably the greatest illustration of that real reality of comparison to Proverbs. This chapter has a lot of topics addressed giving wisdom. The majority of the chapter, except the last section, almost like every verse, can be its own little sermon. Since we're going over the chapter in its entirety, going to address it in the same way like teaching Proverbs. We're going to read each verse and then give a few applications to that verse. So we have a summary of the main truth God has put in each verse. Hopefully by the end of the chapter, like a well-balanced meal or like taking a multivitamin. So let's take a look. Let's begin in verse 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Notice that even as the Lord's followers, even among the church family, conflict happens within our relationships with each other. I wish it didn't. I wish it was avoidable. The mature and wise woman understands that it's just reality while on earth, still not heaven, because we all still have human weaknesses. We're still sinful, proud, selfish. Fights happen among us. Sometimes when we fight, when a fight is not properly resolved, it can grow out to an all-out war. Prolonged fighting. People get hurt in fights, but in wars, it's always larger. The damage is big, and more people get harmed. Where does conflict stem from? Do they, do they not come from your desires or pleasures that war in your members? The root of relational issues is the struggle we all have with our own wrong desires, wanting our way. As people, we are extremely selfish and proud, and we want what pleases us. That's what the world's screaming at us every day. If we are not getting what we desire, we fight against another to try to get our way. The problem, until we can conquer, conquer our wrong desire in ourselves, we can't properly relate to each other. Real battle is within me with my own sinful weakness causing us to be angry, hurt, or confrontational. Verse 2, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Our strong desire for whatever it is we want in each situation makes us, can make us contentious. When we don't get our, get our strong cravings satisfied, we don't get our way. I, I mean, you can see that in a toddler when they're wanting, they're demanding their snack or their TV show or whatever it might be. You can see how ugly it can get when they're not getting their way. Um, and we can act like that, like toddlers. Become hurtful in behaviors and are willing to harm and to destroy other people in the process. Strong words here. Murder, murdering, is, murdering is brutally ruining another for a selfish reason. Yet even in people fighting, warring, and killing people in our treatment, we still don't often get what we're after in the end. We hurt and harm for no good purpose. And he says in here, yet you do not have because you do not ask. God says the problem is our failure in our own prayer life and living dependently upon God. Instead of asking God to work for us and bring about what we are concerned about, which is prayer, instead we strive in the flesh in selfish ways trying to manip manipulate getting our own way. The lesson that we must learn, the important value of being someone who asks God to do things Instead of trying to make things go our way through human efforts, perhaps the reason we don't see what we want coming to pass or changing is our neglect to seek God during that process. That is neglecting to pray and waiting upon God to work in faith 
always trying to scheme in fleshly efforts. We don't want to do that. You don't want to scheme. Verse 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. God shows us here that sometimes we do not get what we ask in prayer because what are our motives? What are our reasons for what we are asking are simply wrong? We may see it as it's right and we may see it as a good thing. But I always say, you know, God, I don't know if you've ever seen like a quilt being made, um, the beautiful side on the one side and then the back of it. Um, is all like those pieces and it doesn't look really pretty. Well, God sees the bigger picture. He sees the blanket on the other side. So we may be like praying for the one thing, seeking him, thinking this is a good thing. And he's like, no, it's actually, it's not. This is, this is the better thing, even though it might not feel like it's the better thing. You know, God sees our hearts and what we are ultimately ultimately after. Sometimes we have selfish agendas. We sometimes are praying in a certain way to get what would please us, not what would please God or others. If our desire and prayer is wrong, God may withhold from giving us what we request. He reserves the right as a father to say no, to keep us from wrong things are not helpful for us. Verse four, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? Whoever therefore wants to be friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God's word pictures our unfaithfulness in a relationship to God due to our love for other things. Have you ever had something that you love so much that you put it before the Lord? I had three little people in my house that I adored and treasured. I absolutely treasured being a mother um, because I wanted to do it right and different than what I saw. And so they were just, um, I just adored them and loved them so much. And I had to keep saying, okay, Lord, you gave them to me to have for a while. And then I need to give them back to you because they're ultimately his, you know, he has a plan for their lives. But I had to constantly set that before them because I could have easily just played with them all day and, and, and put the Lord over here. And I had to, I had to bring that back into perspective. Um, and it can be anything. I mean, whatever, fill in the blank, whatever that love for other thing might be. Um, like the betrayal, offense, and pain of adultery. What is spiritual adultery? I know that's a hard, harsh word. But I think it kind of puts it in perspective for us. It's when we love this present world, the ways of the world, worldly things, more than we love God or serving God. To enjoy what the world offers materially and its temporary pleasures more than the remaining commitment to God is betrayal toward God in relationship. That's spiritual adultery. And only you and your and God can see that because that's one of those um, heart and mind. You know, it's not like the like we talked about the last time where it's an obvious like um, stealing or you know it's something that we can keep hidden. But our God knows what's going on when we're struggling with that. Okay, verse five. <clears throat> or do you think that the Scripture says in vain, "The Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously"? God lives inside of us in the spirit, in the person of the spirit means he experiences everything we do. 
As we give devotion to other things and neglect God, he yearns in jealousy for our attention. God loves us so much it breaks his heart when we start to ignore him, simply because we are occupied spending time in the world's activities. I always think that's um, um, for a parent with a child just craving their attention. I always get that picture in my image because I think of times where I would have much have rather had quality than um, quality time with my birth parents than things. I would rather, you know, um, her spend time with me than buy me something. Um, and I think how sad if I'm filling something up and not sitting with him or spending time with him. Um, so it puts it in perspective with me, um, for me that, um, he's a jealous God. He wants our attention. He wants you to sit and you don't have to sit all, you know, hours and hours you between you and the Lord, you set that devotion time or that time, you know, sometimes it's just those subtle things where he's wanting you to pray about something or he's wanting to you to love on something, you know, or someone, you know, um, He's directing your steps, and he'll he'll definitely speak to you. It's just, can we be slow enough as women in today's world to slow down enough to hear him and allow him to do the work that he wants to do? Okay, verse 6, I absolutely love. But he gives more grace, yet thank God, goodness, that the Lord is so patient and gracious in his dealings with us relationally. Despite the ways we may hurt or offend him, times we ignore or mistreat him, he always keeps giving us more and more and more grace again and again and again. Think how many times in your life the Lord has again extended more grace to you. Despite where you're at right now in your walk, he still has more grace for you and me. If God keeps giving us more grace, perhaps we should give each other more grace. Therefore, he said, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God tells us clearly that our heart condition and the way we relate to him determines what we receive in his response toward us. When our heart is being proud or stubborn, God not only will not help, he actually works to fight against our proud attitude. Yet, if we humble ourselves, God immediately starts to give us grace and help despite what happened. He doesn't, like, punish us. <laughs> he meets us right there. God promises to assist us in our situation when we humble ourselves. Verse 7, Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the best advice for us. Least we give the devil opportunity to exploit us in our sinful weakness. Whatever it is you're wrestling over, just wave the surrender flag to God. Submit to him. Submission to God is always the top priority in all matters. It's only when we first submit to God, then we can resist the devil. Refuse to let the devil take over. Resist the temptations of what the devil wants. And the devil will pull away his attack in the situation. Submit to God. Shut the door on the devil from trying to invade and cause problems. Whatever that may be. If it's the TV, turn it off. If it's social media, go off of it for a while. If um, there's subtle things, uh, flirtations going on at work, uh, little subtle things that are happening that shouldn't be, let your husband know. You know, let him know immediately. Um, don't, just because we don't share um, is like we're almost keeping it hidden because we might like it. And that's a dangerous playground as well. Verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. What a great Bible promise. As we seek to draw closer to him, he'll meet us. 
He'll meet us right there. He always accepts the invitation, no matter where we're at, what we're doing, what's been going on in, in our lives. Whenever we want a greater intimacy with God, he will always honor that with his presence. There is a, both a decision and then a practical doing of certain things to draw close to God. I am really funny. Tony really needs a very quiet, like he always likes to wake up. Like if we, if we wake up at the same time and Carly, now just Carly at home, but if we wake up at the same time he does, he's almost angry because he likes no noise. He likes complete silence. That's his time with the Lord. And we get up, he's like, what are you doing up? And, like he like, and for me, because I had to have devotions with uh, three little girls playing and eating sometimes or whatever, I cannot do it in silence. I need noise. Um, so um, it's, I've gotten better with it, but I do much better if there's lots of things happening. Then I can, like, focus where he's always like, what are, you, are you getting anything out of that? Like, what are you doing? I'm like, I need the noise. Like, I, you know, not crazy noise, but I need a little bit of noise. If it's too quiet, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, like, writing lists, and then I'm like, you know, I'm totally distracted. Like, what, I, what else should I be doing right now? So... Allowing us to sense his presence, his love, his peace, his power. So he'll always respond, offering us more of himself as needed. Verse 8b and 9. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. One thing that can keep us from drawing close to God is being engaged in sin. Our hands can be participating in a sinful action. We are involved in some sinful way of living. Our hearts, minds can be polluted in some sinful way as well. It contradicts what is right before God. If there is sin, we must become saddened over it. And if you're not, tell the Lord to break your heart over it. Um, if you keep hiding it like it's a secret, it, the harder your heart gets. So I say confess it right away, you know, give it, turn it over to him because you don't want the enemy to have a foothold to then cause more hectic and uh, tragedy in your life because of it. We should no longer act as if it's no big deal because it is a big deal. What can be so, this little can grow into really big and, and destroy, destroy your life, destroy your family, destroy your, your walk, your example to someone so you don't, you don't want to give them a foothold, any, any opportunity. Verse 10 says, humble yourself. Let me, I got to find my place. Okay, where am I at? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. God does not want to hold us down and keep us down in some pit of despair. He wants to lift us up. God wants the highest for your life. All he asks is that we humble ourselves before him, whatever that means or looks like for you. His promise is that we humble ourselves instead of trying to raise ourselves up to get our own way. He will honor our humility with, with helping us to arise to higher things, raises us back up from our failures. So if you fall and you go right to the Lord, run to the Lord, he's going to raise you back up. You, think, you may think, oh, you know, the Lord can never use you or the Lord can never love you like he used to. That's all lies. That's just lies from the enemy. Verse 11 and 12, do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of a brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. 
Who are you to judge another? Aren't these verses great? I was like, oh, this is, I just love this book. It's one of my favorite books. Romans was my favorite book when I got saved. But as I grew, I really have um, just grown to, this is just such a practical book. I just love it. Um, These truths of God here are cautioning us against the tendency of having a critical spirit and a cutting tongue and how we speak. God couldn't be more direct here. I mean, we learned a lot about the tongue um, in the last chapter, but he's continuing on because I think it's something we as women struggle with. Um, He's saying, do not speak evil of one another. As God's people, we take enough abuse from the world. We don't need to beat each other up. Yet, sadly, one of the most common errors we make, and especially as women, we can be very unkind, um, cruel in how we speak to one another. Our tongues, as we learn, can be a very dangerous weapon to really wound one another. I need to get a drink. And if you've been wounded by a friend or sister in Christ or a woman, um, I'm sorry. And I pray that you, I know those are words that you're probably waiting to hear and may not ever hear, but I want to encourage you, even if you don't get those words, that you forgive them. Um, go before the Lord. He's able to um, have you be able to forgive and, and be free from that. Because I'm telling you, unforgiveness, that bitterness will eat you alive. And it's just better to forgive and let it go. Um, ask God to heal you and those who... You have hurt in your words. What is the root of the issue? The heart of the matter and always the matter of the heart. Where is my heart in this? Like, you know, is my heart right before you? Lord, that's what matters. The person in authority who creates the law, the lawgiver, as lawgiver, they are the one who has the right to enforce it. They are the only rightful judge. When we start evaluating what people do, critiquing them and becoming judgmental in spirit, We are basically in a spirit of arrogance, acting like we are able to take over God's role as judge. And, you know, a lot of times we only see bits and pieces and we think we know it all. But we don't know what's going on in their home. We don't know what happened that day at their job. We don't know what's going on in their marriage. I mean, I could go on and on. We're we're only seeing a little bit. We're not seeing at all. So let him be the judge. It's almost like we're conveying sense. It's almost like conveying sense we are so perfect, which we know none of us are, that we never violate the laws of God. We can fill in for God by acting as judge in this place, and we shouldn't. God rebukes the attitude saying, excuse me. He says it right here. Excuse me. Who are you to judge another? Right? Great. Bible phrase to memorize and to try to live out this next week and month is who are you to judge another? Or maybe before you're talking with a friend um, or talking about a friend, maybe think of that verse because it'll be quicker for your mouth to not say maybe the things that we shouldn't say. Last section, and I can't believe I'm doing so good. I thought we were going to be here all night. (laughs) 
Um, last section is a unit of thoughts on not being presumptuous and overly planning what will happen. How hard is that for women? Because we are planners. I used to get up in the morning and write out my plans on a I love those little, like, magnetic notepads. I know that's probably old school. Everybody puts it on their phone. But I still get them. I love them. And I love to write, like, my grocery list. And I love to just write. I like just writing. I just love it. And my writing is getting sloppier the older I get. But I still love to just write these lists. And I thought, it's just a reminder. Oh, gosh, you know, we are just planners. That's what we do. And not that it's a bad thing. Because we don't, we don't just, we just want to lay around on your couch all day. We, it's good. It's healthy to be a planner. So let's look at verse, what Jesus says about this verse, what James is telling us that Jesus says, verses 13 through 16. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city. Spend a year there. Buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. I never dreamed in a million years we would leave York, Pennsylvania. And here we are. So that's one for me right there. For what is your life? Or that my husband would be a pastor, a senior pastor. I thought we were just going to help be helpers. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> for what is your life? It's definitely not our own. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. We have that reality this week. And our dear brother, who... I love Wednesday nights. I looked forward to Wednesday nights because I loved him leading worship. It's just time is so short. We just never know. It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. I have this. You ladies have that underlined in your Bible. Verse 17. Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. So let's just look at some simple applications. And I'm sure you can come up with some on your own. We should not plan alone and then press forward with a plan. We should pray and see what God intends in relation to that plan or idea. The Bible does not teach it's wrong to make plans, right? We're not, to, we're not to be lazy. It's stewardship. But simply, he prefers if we write it like our list or our plans in pencil and we give God the eraser. In humility, unlike God who knows everything about the future, we don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You walk forward with one with an open hand. If it's the Lord's will... It will happen, but if not, you need to trust that he has the better plan. Verse 17, therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is a sin. Notice sin is not just things we do wrong that we should not do. There is also the sin of not doing things that we should. Have you ever heard, you know, I mean, have you ever heard, have you ever had the Lord say, hey, um, Make this meal and drop it off. And you're like, oh, God, that's so silly. She doesn't want me to stop by. Like, that's ridiculous. Like, I'm just going to be annoying her. Or she won't like my meal. I mean, you make a thousand excuses. Um, or the Lord whispering, hey, you know, give her a hug. And you can talk yourself out of it within seconds. You know, there's just subtle things the Lord's telling us to do. And, and we're so fearful um, that, we, that we're not hearing from her. We're going to do it wrong or whatever. But it, that's also a sin. 
you know, that there is also the sin of not doing things we should. Failing to do what we know is right to do, perhaps out of neglect, disobedience, fear, pride, and selfishness. When God shows us something, we should do that is good and right, and we must do it. To not do that good thing is sin, because we are holding back the good thing God is trying to accomplish. It's that when you turn the blanket on the other side, we're just another little thread on the back, but when you turn the quilt around, it's this amazing, beautiful tapestry, like beautiful pictures, and but we're just the little thread on the back, and you're just putting your little thread in, and God's making that beautiful blanket. He's doing a work bigger, bigger. You don't know what, um, whatever it is that the Lord might is whispering in your ear to do, to um, be a friend to that new teacher that's on staff that's probably scared to death and hurting and doesn't know what she's doing and her class is going crazy and just by loving on her in little subtle ways, you know, you have no idea what encouragement and blessing that'll give to her. You know, um, I think often as women, we tend to tear each other down instead of hold locking arms and saying no to this world and to the enemy. Let's be sisters. Let's keep hold each other up and encourage one another and build one another up. And I think that's the lie of social media um, with all the pretends that, you know, I'm in this, you know, I'm on this vacation or I'm got this whatever and it makes it look like, oh, she has the better life. No, that's, that's not the real picture. You know, we never know the, re the real details. Don't allow the enemy to rob you of the blessed life that you have because you might think someone else has it better because of those things. So may God help us to stop misbehaving when we need to maturely do what's right, even when it's hard. I want to share something with you guys today um, that someone shared with me that really, really ministered to me in a big way. Um, because I think as women, we can be very, very hard on ourselves. Um, I know I can uh, feel like a failure, uh, you know, am I loving my husband right or good enough? Am I being a good mom to married children, whatever that may look like, you know, am I, um, you know, being a good friend or a good sister or whatever, you know, fill in the blank, whatever it may be. And I think, or you think that, um, you hear all these Bible stories of men climbing mountains and doing these major things. And I think we often go amiss of how God is working in the midst of the many things that we are doing. Yes, it is important to have your quiet time, but let me just read this to you. Another person telling me he sees me. This really hit me hard. Have you ever noticed how in the scriptures men are always going up into the mountains to commune with the Lord? Yet in the scriptures, we hardly ever hear women going to the mountains. But we know why, right? Because the women were too busy keeping life going. They couldn't abandon babies, meals, homes, fires, gardens, and a thousand other responsibilities to make the climb into the mountains. I was talking to a friend the other day saying that as a modern woman, I feel like I'm never free enough for my responsibilities, never in a quiet enough space I want with God. Her response floored me. This is why God comes to women. 
Men have to climb the mountain to meet God. But God comes to women wherever they are. I have been pondering on her words for weeks and have searched my scriptures to see what she said is true. God does indeed come to women where they are when they are doing their ordinary everyday work. He meets them at the wells where they draw water for their families, in their homes, in their kitchens, in their gardens. He comes to them as they sit beside sick beds, as they give birth, care for their elderly grandma, and perform necessary mourning and burial rites. Even at the empty tomb, Mary was the first to witness Christ's resurrection. She was there because she was doing the womanly chore of properly preparing Christ's body for burial. In these seemingly mundane and ordinary tasks, these women of scriptures found themselves face to face with divinity. So if, like me, you ever start to bemoan the fact that you don't have much time to spend in the mountains with God as you would like, remember, God comes to women. He knows where we are and the burdens we carry. He sees us. And if we open our eyes and our hearts, he will see, we will see him even in the most ordinary places and in the most ordinary things. He lives and he's using a time such as this to speak to women around the world. Wasn't that beautiful? So don't ever think the things that you're doing every day, God's meeting you right there.